0: You're listening to the sagas and sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. just sagas and sass season four brought to you by geek saga entertainment i'm tara along with practically permanent guest host seth and returning guest steve this episode will cover rage part two of Morningstar, the third installment in pierce brown's red rising saga
1: please note that if you are watching this as a webcast there's a chance you will hear some spoilers for other books in the red rising series during our live webcasts however If you're listening to this as a podcast, any spoilery bits have been edited out. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or, after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Sagas and Sass, or email us at sagasandsass at gmail.com to continue the conversation. I would like to bring up at this point, since I'm reading part of the opening spiel, I I would like my title to be changed to Extremely Temporary (laughs) (laughs) Co-Host.
0: I agree. Especially as the part you just read is like, join us. And while obviously every guest is still part of that us, I feel like you reading that out loud designates you as something more than quote unquote just practically permanent guest host. Uh, I mean, at this point, Steve's been on several of these, so maybe he's almost, almost, but not quite, the practically permanent guest host. Yeah, for now, i will
2: just be Steve.
0: Additionally, please note that the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. And don't forget to check out our Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to the podcast versions of these episodes, as well as timed patron-only access, this is new, to these live videos, which will only be available to our patrons for the month after they've finished airing. So what's going to happen is within 24 hours of the live episode airing, it will go secretly and only patrons will have access to it for at least 30 days. So please check that out. You can find us at patreon.com slash underscore entertainment. On that note, let's get back to Darrow and Co. with chapters 13 to 18 of Morningstar.
2: Victra and Darrow have been carved. Okay, recarved and are now doing bench presses like bosses to get back up to par. They've been part of some forays into the real world, not MTV style. We're talking supply runs, sub- sabotage missions, and assassinations. And eventually they get to be part of the B squad, which is known as the Pit Vipers, and led by Uncle Nero. But Darrow, well, he isn't feeling the best about all this. He feels, to be quite honest, like a terrorist. In fact, the only mission he felt okay about involved them getting dispatched to the Red Legion's hideout in an attempt to bring them back into the fold. And then all they found there was a bombed out shell city and a mass grave. Anyway, back to the present, Darrow and Victor are in the midst of washing off their workout when they are attacked. And considering they were both recently prisoners and obviously still suffering from PTSD, damn right, they think that the worst is about to happen. But lo, it's just Severo and the Howlers showing up to initiate them. They bring holiday as well. And of course, she's excited because, you know, she didn't just spend the better part of a year being tortured. The initiation includes them being fed a whole lot of liquor and a big old bucket of creepy crawlies. Seriously, cockroaches, pit vipers, and who knows what else. And told that they have a sacred holler text to memorize. But the most important bit being holler rule one, never bow. And then just as they're wrapping up, drunk AF (laughs) and covered in beastie bits and vomit. Neryl and Dancer show up with some news. It's time for a mission dubbed Operation Black Market, a.k.a. going to Phobos to straight up kidnap, or maybe rather Silvernap, the Jackal silent partner, Quicksilver.
0: So the Howlers high off to Phobos, where before they can get to the whole breaking into Quicksilver's home part of their mission, they meet with a Sons of Ares contact, a Red named Rolo. And as Rolo leads them to their jump off point, along the way they witness some of the hardships of those who are contracted to work on the moon. But we don't want to digress too much. The TLDR is, listen, there's a whole lot of shit going on before, during, and after this mission. But for the sake of this being a summary, we're just going to say Severo clearly doesn't have shit in hand the way he should. And Darrow is full on worried about it. They are able to enter Quicksilver's Tower. But again, Darrow senses that things aren't quite right. He feels as if they've entered a museum, not a home. And tells Severo he thinks it's a trap. And his concern only grows when they finally find Quicksilver's bedroom and it's empty, or appears to be, until they realize that there is a pink sleeping in Quicksilver's bed. A pink who the other howlers immediately take hold of and start questioning, very roughly. But when the pink speaks, Darrow recognizes his voice. And you guys, it's Mateo, the same Mateo who taught Darrow how to be a gold way back at the beginning of Book 1. Darrow tries to stop the Howlers from destroying his friend, and while Severo insists that Mateo must have turned, Darrow is feeling even more at ease about this whole mission quest thing. Granted, they do eventually find Quicksilver, but wow, not in the way they expected, or Well, okay, sure, Darrow totes realized things probably weren't what they seemed, but still, even he didn't expect that they would bust into a conference room where Quicksilver is chillin' with a few dozen people, including the Death Knight, Aja's sister and fellow Fury Moira, fucking Cassius, Kavix and Daxa, O'Talamannis, and, wait for it, Mustang! Now, despite Darrow's attempts to control the situation, attempts that cause Sever to cut off his output signal so that no one can hear him, a full-on brawl erupts. The Death Knight and Wyra are taken out, and most of the coppers and silvers are as well. But Cassius, the Telemonuses, and Mustang fight on. And it's clear the Howlers have bitten off more than they can chew.
1: It's only when Mustang comes at Darrow and his mask is shattered, revealing his face, that there's a true pause. Because Mustang believes she saw him die, and as soon as she realizes he's not, you know, dead, she calls to the Telemonuses to fall back. Kavix is caught and roars at Mustang that she should run, which she does, but only after telling Darrow that she has the Pax and Orion is alive. Darrow is confused and also pissed, and for good reason. Kavix confirms that the Pax is safe, but Darrow is more focused on the fact that Severo cut his comms and that they could have killed Mustang. Unfortunately, there's no time to discuss how and why they ended up in this situation, because Quicksilver's security personnel are swarming toward them, and there's no way their little crew can cut through more than a hundred security guards. Granted, Severo tries to argue that they absolutely can do that, which, you know, that's a big ol' nope. But thankfully, at this point, Darrow finally reminds his Howlers, I am back, and effectively takes over. What does this mean? Well, that they're going to bust out a window and launch themselves through the vacuum of space into their escape ship, which they do, all but several howling all the way and uh, just hoping that they can make it back into a pressurized space with oxygen before their bodies fail. Oh, and don't worry, they do make it because, as Ragnar says, the Abyss will not claim them yet.
0: Before they do the big Quicksilver mission, even before they get initiated... Darrow thinks about how he has completed three missions with the Pit Vipers, the B-Squad that we mentioned earlier, led by his uncle. But he feels like they're a snake eating their own tail, especially because everything they do is twisted by society, a.k.a. the Jackals media. He feels like he's hunted. He feels like a terrorist, something that he only ever felt once before when he was considering bombing the Gala on Luna. Then he's sent to bring Harmony and the Red Legion to the fold. They specifically say, like, okay, this is still not a full Howler mission, but you're the only one we think could possibly convince her. But all they find is a bombed-out city that had become a mass grave. You want to read this quote from Darrow, Seth?
1: I'm haunted by the sight, but Victor seems to have moved past it as she plows through her workout. She's pushed it to that vast vault at the back of her mind where she compresses and locks away, all the evil she's seen, all the pain she's felt. I wish I were more like her. I wish I felt less and was less afraid, but as I recall that rimmed of smoke, all I can think is that it presages something worse, as if the universe is showing us a glimpse of the end we're rushing toward.
0: I feel like all of this Darrow's feelings about them seeming more like terrorists than anything else, and then when he finally gets sent on a mission that should be more than what he's experienced so far, it turns out badly. It just says a lot about how he has changed as a person because of his time in the. Uh, I don't know what do we what do we want to call pit? that the, 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 uble- tape, the <laughs> table cell like. <laughs> What do you call a dining room table that has storage under it, you know? <laughs> he was in that little pullout drawer that people have under their beds. <laughs> I really wonder what Pierce was thinking when he wrote about Darrow's torture. And Victra's too, man. This is a pretty hardcore torture. So anyway, Victra, I don't know if she really came out of this change. She still seems to be the same old Victra who just is focused on one thing and one thing only maybe, but Darrow clearly does not like the way things are going. I just thought it was very interesting that so much time, I mean, a couple pages really was spent on him just kind of, I don't like this. I don't know what's going on.
1: I've got some feelings about that. I'm sure we're not surprised. Oh, Darrow, 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 Darrow. Uh, You are involved in a physical force insurgency against the government now i agree that it is a tyrannical government and needs to be overthrown but guess what they're gonna call you it's also like, and I will say this is very much informed by me just having finished Andor, but yes, you're participating in assassinations. I'll tell you something, man. Uh, you got a choice between a bullet and a bomb. I could tell you which one is probably better. Part of me wants him to just be like, I mean, I realize he's still 23, 24. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, man, this is not going to be pretty. Like, it might be pretty at the end where everybody's holding hands and marching forward into a, a brighter future. But it's going to be really bad while you're trying to put this together.
0: I just think that he's so much less gung-ho about it than he was prior to his time being captured and tortured. Which, obviously, so that would change literally anybody. But it's one of those things where when Harmony gave him the bomb in the beginning of Golden Sun and he actually considered it for a while because he was so upset about what happened with EO and everything, but now it's different, right? Like he's doing what he's doing because he's following orders. He's been away and Severo's in charge. So he's following the orders he's given like a good old soldier. But as he's, you know, marching off to war, he's also understanding that this is not the way things should be
1: yeah ideally yes i don't know i feel that the whole bomb during the gala thing was more him being nihilistic i i will say he has definitely matured to the point that he can work through the fact that he was tortured and held captive for a year and try to get on to something else but at that point in his life he was like i have completely failed in everything i have failed you i have failed everybody who put any kind of trust in me and the only way i could deal with this is to cut the head off the serpent problem with doing that is if you want Golds to ally with you at the the end of this, it's uh, going to be a problem if you kill off a whole bunch of them at one time.
0: I mean, really, as we learn very soon, if you want anybody to ally with you on this, maybe you should stop just running stupid like side missions where you destroy little outposts and stuff and then they just immediately start rebuilding and
2: yeah i feel like a lot of darrow's like bright points up until this point have been very like spur of the moment very under pressure decisions and now that he's not the guy in charge exactly and he's having to like play second fiddle He's maybe getting a chance to reflect and say, hey, this is pretty messed up. Because before this, I think his talk with his mother where she uh, mentioned, what are you changing? What are you changing for Reds? Like to give him like a more broad picture of what's going on. And uh, I think this is same thing, but like in terms of what he has to do, like he has to get his hands incredibly dirty, in other words.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't want to, especially after what he's just been through. He doesn't want to seem dirty like he felt when he was the Jackal's prisoner being tortured. All that aside, (laughs) after all their missions and everything, LOL, howler initiation. Like, seriously, Dara and Victor are kidnapped in the middle of their post-workout showers, completely naked, (laughs) BT-dubs, holidays dragged into the mix, and... Of course, Daryl and Victor, at first, they're fighting back, and it's only when Daryl hears somebody say bloody damn that he takes a step back and realizes, oh, okay, we're not actually being captured by the bad guys again, but... Man, I'm sorry, Severo and the Howlers. I, I get it. It's an initiation. Part of me wonders, like, was Pearson a fraternity or something? It, I don't know. It feels very fraternity to me. And also, maybe Severo and Dara's other friends should have realized this wasn't the best idea to, like, throw bags over their heads in the middle of a shower. I, I just... I don't know. Take a step back. Obviously, Holiday was super happy about it. But like we said in the summary, she hadn't just been captured and tortured for almost a year.
1: Well, Severo doesn't like to do a whole lot of thinking. <laughs> he's a go with his gut kind of fella.
2: Yeah, if you imagine the silly stuff he's been through in his life, pain is is fuel for him. So must be the same for everyone else.
0: <laughs> Honestly, it kind of brings us back to the passage, right? And it makes me wonder if... Because Severo, he might not have known the particulars of what the passage was about. But it makes me wonder what kind of training Fitchner put him through. Yeah. So that he wouldn't be shocked by being yanked out of bed and stripped naked and having a bag thrown over his head in the middle of the night. And stuff. like, oh, that's some daddy-son relationship there. (laughs) Yeah, golds, man. So they all have to drink a whole bottle of liquor each, by the way. And then there's this huge bucket put in front of them. And it's full of cockroaches and snakes. And those are the only things he mentions. I think he says something about scorpions, maybe. But that could also be me conflating that with pit vipers. But they have to eat the whole bucket, the three of them together. So at least they get to share the bucket. You know, yeah. They didn't get to share the liquor, but they get to share the bucket. <laughs> but I just got to give some major props to Holiday for pulling out the pit viper and just like biting its head off.
2: For and sure. She was
0: just like, I'm just gonna do it, man. And she did. So gross. They all have to eat this shit. And they all puke. Or maybe Holiday doesn't puke, actually. I know Darrow and Victor do. But Ugh. I also thought it was interesting that Severo is talking about, oh, there's like this sacred text that new howlers have to study <laughs> and know inside and out. But the only thing they mention at the time is Howler rule number one, which is never bow. So I wanna know what is in this sacred text. I want the World of Red Rising book that Pierce needs to write or or put together. I will volunteer myself to help him create it, honestly, because I want this World of Red Rising, like World of Ice and Fire book where the Howler sacred text is like there. Every single bit of it, rule by rule, whatever it includes. I want it all.
1: You know what? I'm gonna say this. I I think it's just George Tuars's history of Dorn, right? <laughs> Unbowed, unbent, unbroken, and that's what yeah. they took from it.
0: Well, I feel like I want it, and again, I'm I'm hearkening back to having been in a sorority, all that stuff where there's drinking songs, there's initiation songs, there's just hanging out with each other, like lovey-dovey stupid sorority songs from like the 18, early 1900s. There's a secret handshake. There's like all these special things that you do in meetings. I want the Howler version of that.
2: Absolutely. Like the symbolism of the cloak and you know yeah. all the cool stuff.
0: Which of course, like we know the idea of the symbolism of the cloak that came from the Institute and everything. But yeah, I want the creed. I
1: mm-hmm. want the whole
0: thing written out like you would have it if you were in a sorority or a fraternity. I mean, I'm assuming fraternities are the same. Obviously, I only have the sorority experience, but I want all of that. (laughs) Anyway, their initiation is interrupted in the end by Dancer and Nero because apparently this Operation Black Market thing that has been being worked on slash planned for a while as we get the general gist of is a go. And the TLDR, they're going to go kidnap Quicksilver, who is one of the richest and most powerful men in the world. He is a Silver who effectively owns golds and and we don't mean owns in a slavery way we mean owns like he knows their secrets and or they owe him money like he owns these people they will do what he wants when he wants because they don't feel like they have a choice they will lose something of themselves of their money of their lifestyle whatever if he reveals it So big name dude who we've kind of only heard about in very brief passing previously, but now we're going to learn a whole bunch about him real quick. Darrow doesn't agree with Severo's plan, but Severo has kept the sons alive. So Darrow's like, fine, I'm going to go along with it. And he's having this conversation with Victra. And she is like, you don't want to do this. You don't think this is a good idea. And he's like, yeah, but Severo has been the person and done the thing. And Victra says... I wonder when you started believing grit and vision were the same thing. And listen, there's definitely been some things going on between Victra and Severus. since the moment they met in Golden Sun, there's these little bits and pieces where there's something more between them. Like, especially he's the one that actually saves her from the air when they escape at the beginning of Morningstar and everything.
1: You're saying there's something there that wasn't there before.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too. I mean, there's another parody song for you to write.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh, We're constantly
0: I... assigning parody songs to say. So, anyway, despite Darrow not agreeing with everything that's happening, they go to Phobos. And when they're in the bowels of Phobos, we learn how rough things really are even outside of the mines. Like beforehand, we've only seen low colors either as reds in the mines or as the sort of higher reds that are servants, you know, the browns. They're like cleanup crews and servants, that, that type of thing. But now we see that reds aren't always just in the mines, but they also aren't always kind of in that posher lifestyle, Because they're coming to Phobos on these contracts that are very tricky, very much indentured servitude. But as they're being led through these sort of depths of the moon by their contact, Rolo, Ragnar sees a Red who is in bad shape. He's clearly a drug addict. And he asks Rolo why he or they in general don't help these people. Rolo's like, "Uh, we really have enough for our own people like our own family or whatever it's no good sharing with that lot Ragnar is still confused because he's like that's a red they are your family and at this point it's, it's interesting because I feel like this goes beyond like okay the sons are his family right the people who are part of the rising are his family he's assuming that if you're a red every red is your family and Victra kind of fucks up a bit Because she tells Ragnar to save his pity that these addicts are empty flesh. And Darrow gets kind of sharp with her. He expects her to back down, but instead she doubles down. And she's like, empty flesh, darling. Part of being human is having dignity. They don't. They carved it out themselves. That was their choice, not gold's. Even if it's easy to blame them for everything. So why should they deserve my pity? Well, Victra, because not everyone is you or had your birth. Though in the end, she kind of learns a different lesson when this leads to a conversation about the contracts these low-colors sign that basically trap them on Phobos. Contracts that are mostly with, surprise, surprise, not Julia Industries. So I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on their whole experience seeing these other low-colors who are not minors and not servants but stuck in a different way possibly even a worse way even than the miners if we want to be real
1: i mean for me it's just one more example of how this society is gross but i mean i think the thing here is we also have to remember that we're not great with that kind of thing at all at all and i mean not to complicate stuff but sorry i'm gonna bring actual race into this and really become a downer for a minute but we're not good at least in the states with it's starting to get better but we're not really good with recognizing addiction for what it is it is it is a disease that you you can't control really whether you have it or don't you're predisposed to it or you're kind of not kind of a thing But the different kind of language that was used to describe, say, the crack epidemic of the 90s versus the opioid epidemic of now, one of those got treated a lot more sympathetically. So, I mean, it makes sense to have this here for everybody to see how, you know, again, this is how bad it can get. Uh, I would also like to say that this is the reason that I cannot... On board the Victor train because Victor has privileged colored glasses.
0: She does. Absolutely. I do think she does learn something of a lesson here because Rollo explains that this guy lost a leg. And Darrow actually even kind of fucks up a little bit because he's like, well, why doesn't he just get a carver? And Rollo's like, the fuck, dude? (laughs) Who has money for that? We're stuck here because we spend all this time working and. We're paid a pittance, and most of that goes to room and board. And then, oh, by the way, we have to pay back our transportation because nobody reads the contracts. And I I mean, part of that is kind of like, can they all even read is a question. We don't know. Yes, it appears most Reds can read. But again, we're going back to historically, people would sign their lives away in indentured servitude, not realizing- That, yes, you're getting paid, but you're getting paid a pittance, and your room and board comes out of that, and you don't make any money. They really don't understand what they're signing up for. And in particular, in this case, they've got to pay back their transportation, and then this guy gets injured, and he can't even work anymore. And there's no benefits to help him in any way, shape, or form. So he just becomes down and out, and... Probably is in pain for quite a while due to loss of limb and turns to, it seems like it's opiates basically. And like you mentioned the opioid crisis, and yes, I agree that the opioid crisis has been dealt with better because it's more like a white person problem with people getting prescribed painkillers and getting addicted, and we ignore other addictions, but in this particular case, like this guy becomes addicted, and he can't work, and he's just a lump on the ground who is flashing his rotting teeth at them and mumbling incoherently. And I love that Ragnar is like, help him. Because he doesn't understand why they wouldn't. Because all he's seen so far is the good side of the people on his team. And now he's seeing, oh shit, like the bad side is we're not actually helping everybody.
2: Yeah, and I, I love Victra, but it's definitely moments like this that make you think, About the character and then also like how much can you attribute to like ignorance because she's her mother's daughter and who knows how much of the business she actually runs but you can only attribute so much to ignorance is the.
0: She did seem genuinely shocked when he talked about having to pay back their transportation. Yeah. So I will say, I don't think she has had any sort of hand in or knowledge of that side of things. The question is, will she do anything to change it eventually? Mm, Don't say anything. I don't know. But for now, it makes it makes her look bad. But to be honest, like, it also makes Daryl look a little bit bad in this moment, too, because he's just like, just get a carver, right? And they're like, the fuck, dude? Like, that's not how that works. Moving on. As they're trying to break into Quicksilver's Tower from the vacuum of space, nonetheless. There's a lot of vacuum of space things going on in this <laughs> uh, in this episode. We get a random aside about how Darrow ended up with that broken arm at the beginning of Golden Sun. And I literally just wanted to touch on this because at the beginning of Golden Sun, there's this whole thing about, oh, I'm, he's standing there with his arm in a sling as they go after Carnice's ships for what they think is the last time and this is the only time we learn what actually happened because as they're breaking into the tower, Victra says makes me miss the boys and it takes Darrow a moment to realize she's not talking about like what's going on here right now but that the last time she and Darrow tried this tactic, Tactus and Roke were with them They infiltrated Karnas' flagship from the vacuum as he refueled at an asteroid base during the Academy's mock war. They cut through his hull with aims of kidnapping him to eliminate his team. But it was a trap! And Darrow narrowly escaped with the help of his friends, a broken arm, his only reward for the gambit. So this is both... A little bit of backstory as to why he had a broken arm a book and a half ago, almost. (laughs) But also a little bit of foreshadowing because they get into Quicksilver's home and it's more like a stage than a home. And again, we go back to it's a trap. But Severo does not like being questioned and insists they continue the mission. And when I say that it's more like a stage, it's literally a museum. There's like precious works of art and like robots and shit on and like i think there's like a there's like a tank with like yeah. carved mermaids on display like it's a whole lifestyle vibe here that they're just wandering through and but it's silent and just spick and span clean in ways that are like this shouldn't have been this easy right
1: mm-hmm yeah although i mean it's not really a trap really true
0: i mean Darrow is in it's in a trap mindset because of what he's been through
1: sure and and that makes sense but yeah that something's something's wrong in the sense of there's something here you did not probably could not know about and therefore didn't plan for yes absolutely
0: you know even though Severo is like Stop fucking questioning me and let's continue on. Darrow agrees and he says he trusts Severo. Uh, Steve, do you want to read this passage? Yeah, yeah
2: for sure. Darrow agrees and says he trusts Severo, but also thinks, would that I could hear Mustang's take on this plan before? I've missed her lips, her scent, but now I miss the comfort that comes from knowing her mind is aligned with mine. When I was with her, I did not feel alone. She'd probably chastise us for focusing on breaking rather than building. Why do I feel this way now? I'm surrounded by friends, striking at gold as I've always wished. Yet something itches in the back of my brain, like eyes watching me. Whatever Severo says, something is wrong here. Not in this building, but with his plan. Is this how I would have done it? How Fitchner would have done it. If it succeeds, what do we usher in after the dust settles and the helium no longer flows? A dark age? Severo is a force unto himself. His rage, a thing to move mountains. And once I was like that. And look what that has gotten me.
0: So, Um, a dark age. Hmm. wonder where that comes in again. Hmm. Yeah. Find out in a couple books. So, as you said, Seth, it turns out it's not a trap, per se. This isn't just a quiet evening at home for Quicksilver. In fact... He's in a secret meeting. Now, first, I want to touch on real quick the fact that they beat the ever-loving crap out of Mateo.
2: Oh, like, first of all,
0: man. even if that wasn't Mateo, okay? Even if that wasn't Mateo, pinks are known for being brittle-boned, weak. Like, they're they're literally cloned, built-bred, however you want to say it that way. yeah. And this they are low colors. They are at the whims of the people they are generally forced to serve. So them going after any pink like that is automatically just disgusting. Yeah. Even if it wasn't Mateo. Okay. But it's also Mateo. Yeah. And several's just like, oh, he turned. And Daryl's like, Mm-mm, don't think so. Nope. Don't believe you. Just how would that have happened in this short of a time? He was a son, he was good to me, like which. Again, that could be all I get that Darrow hasn't had the best judgment in regards to people in the past, <laughs> rogue,
2: but <laughs> oh, man. at well, the same I mean, time, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he knew what tactics was, he just wanted him to change. But like Mateo came to Darrow as one thing, and Darrow has no reason to not trust him now i mean all of that said like the fuck man yeah I, even if it wasn't mateo don't do that shit you don't know why he's here how he's here you do know that pinks are forced to serve high colors period Ugh, gross i hate it i hate all of, like i hate Severo in these chapters maybe hate is a strong word i extremely dislike everything about severo in these chapters like he's bad he's bad and he's awful and i don't like that he's being this way because maybe that's what it is. i don't like that he's being this way because i know he's better than this that said uh they find quicksilver and he's in a secret meeting with these all too familiar faces cassius mustang kavix daxo a whole bunch of random coppers and silvers we don't need to talk about. Plus like the bonus Olympic knights, the Death Knight, who is just an old man who we never get his name, and then Moira, who's one of the sovereign series, which hmm, you know. And my
2: first time reading this, it absolutely blew my mind. Because I had all sorts of theories like who could be in that room. Did they catch him with uh, in a meeting with the jackal? You know, all, all these things. And then when they walked through the doors, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs>
0: Honestly, if only they had I mean, I know plot wise it would not have worked out, but yeah. if only they had gotten yeah, right. into
1: me. yeah. I think if the jackal had been there, things would have popped off earlier. Because I, I think some of the jackals dead-eyed Necronauts or whatever they're calling themselves, <laughs> the bone, bone Bone Riders. Bone Riders would have been like, No, now Bone Rider versus Howler who truly is the most vicious.
0: I mean, as it turns out, the Death Knight and Moira are just gone. Like, yeah, Darrow literally roasts Moira.
2: Oh, that was so bad.
0: And then he brags about it later, which is hilarious, yeah. but the Death Knight and Moira, bam, gone, whatever. Cassius and Mustang escape, Cavix is wounded and they take him and Quicksilver prisoner, but Severo is continuing to not be smart about things, and Darrow has finally had enough and takes over, which, love you, Severo, but not right now. So, phew. <laughs> when Darrow takes over, Severo says nothing. And Darrow thinks it's not anger behind his eyes. It's the secret seeds of self-doubt and fear coming to blossom. Hate seeping into his eyes. I know the look. I felt it on my own face too many times to count. I'm ripping away the only thing he's ever cared about, his howlers. After all he's done, I make them choose me over him when he doesn't trust I'm ready. It's an indictment of his leadership, a validation of the intense self-doubt I know he must feel in the wake of his father's passing. It shouldn't have been that way. I said I'd follow, and I didn't. That's on me. But this isn't the time for coddling. I tried words with him, tried using our friendship to make him see reason. But since I've been back, I've seen him respond to things only with violence and force. So now I'll speak his bloody damn language. I don't disagree with Daryl here at all. That I hate that. Also,
1: also I I, I do like the fact that at this point he has learned something from the last book and is realizing when he's hurt a friend.
0: Yes, but... He also realized he hurt Roke every single time, too, and he still fucked that up.
1: I know, but he was, no, 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 Roke and me were tight. I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. And it's like, you can't keep doing that.
0: So he's taking control. Their best option is to blow out a window and launch themselves through space. Uh, Seth, you want to read this one?
1: Sure. It's just fear, Darrow tells himself. It's just fear making me panic and it spread through my friends. I see the horror on their faces, how they look back at me and see that fear reflected in my own. I cannot be afraid. I've spent too long being afraid, too long being diminished by loss, too long being everything except what I need to be. And Whether I am the Reaper or whether it's just another mask, it's one I must wear, not just for them, but for myself. Omnis vir lupus, Darrow shouts, and then he howls. The rest of them follow suit. Well, except several. <sighs>
0: Yeah, the, it's just fear. It's just fear making you panic. Nah, dude, you're about to go into space without <laughs> any protection.
1: Well, I mean, there's that. I would also argue that fear makes most people panic. Yeah,
0: this is like beyond fear. This is like I can't even. I honestly can't even think about it. Sometimes, even watching. Have you guys watched For All Mankind? No, okay, no. watch it. It's um, I believe it's Apple TV. It's Ron Moore. Battlestar Galactica Mm, fame. you know it's a sort of alt history like what would happen if the space race never ended sort of thing fucking amazing tv show okay like I would say at this point in my life it's one of the top three tv shows I've ever watched especially in terms of drama right like Mm. I would put it up there with Battlestar Galactica it might even be better which is saying a lot for me so Watching like shows like that where – I mean there's that movie with Sandra Bullock where she's like out in space. Basically any show where there's a chance that somebody is going to like get lost in space and like die in space, that idea of the abyss freaks me the fuck out so much. Like, Uh oh, God. I can't even think about it. Maybe it's like my weird fear of both heights and claustrophobia like combined. I don't know. But – and so when they do this, it's like, yeah, this is more than just fear, Darrow. This is more than fear and panic. This is just, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I can't even describe how squicky I feel about them doing this. So, yes, let's just howl into oblivion and hope that we live.
2: Ah. Yeah, especially, especially when they describe, like, their bodies expanding from the exposure. It's just...
0: They come back from this way too quickly, too. But I guess that's mm-hmm. just something we'll never we don't need to touch on well, so I was gonna say,
1: apparently the whole that ex- the whole you'd explode thing isn't true
0: i don't I, I don't know if they'd say that they would explode but either way they
1: they certainly didn't total recall am i right yeah, right oh, right. yeah. <laughs> oh my god uh, uh. that
0: was the first r-rated movie i ever watched oh wow um, i don't know if that says i'm old or young
1: well you're younger than me <laughs>
0: <laughs> it says I'm young to you, and it says I'm old to literally everybody else. Well, so anyway, they leap into space, and we leap into chapters 20 through 25. After they've escaped Quicksilver's Tower, Holiday lands their ship in the docking berth of a Sons of very safe house. But their previous disguises have deteriorated, and people start recognizing Darrow for who he really is. A totally not dead Reaper of Mars. <laughs> It's clear their time is limited, so Darrow tightens his gloves and goes to get answers. From Kavix, of course. Mustang apparently told Kavix that Darrow was a Red immediately after she left him in the mines, which is why they weren't at the Triumph. She went to the Telemontises because she didn't know what to do and respected their counsel to stay out of things for a hot mo. Side note, rightfully fucking so, we're all here for the Telemontises. Telemontises. So, while the Jackal and his people were ravaging Darrow's supposed triumph, Mustang was rallying his other troops, even saving Orion from assassins. And when Darrow asks where his friends are imprisoned, Kavix corrects him. The Pax is as he left it, Mustang left Orion in command, and the rest follow. Because, hell yeah, Cavix is the person who raised Mustang raised her on stories of heroes who wished only to protect the weak, so of course she believes that a blue can run a whole dang ship. It turns out that the only reason they were meeting with the Sovereign's minions on Phobos is because they are losing their part of the war. But they also know that the Jackal is a great a fuck-up and that the Sovereign wants to remove him from his position as Arch-Governor of Mars. However, even hearing all of this, there's one thing that Darrow still doesn't understand. That being, if all of this is true, why didn't Mustang or anyone on her team try to contact Severo? Oh, but they did! Months before they attempted this new alliance. So big ugh, about the fact that Severo clearly never told Darrow about that. However, we have to set this aside for a moment, because the big problem right now is how the fuck they're going to get off Phobos, and do so without simply abandoning the sons who reside there to slaughter. Thankfully, their new friend Rolo has an idea. He believes that if Darrow heads down to the Hive and shows everyone he's alive, <laughs> rhyme, the low colors will rise for him.
2: Unfortunately, Severo's still stuck on his plan to use Quicksilver to get them off of Phobos. And he stomps off with Darrow hot on his heels to question their prisoner. Until Quicksilver realizes just who is questioning him. And he reveals that he is one of them that being a son of Ares and a founding member of the son of Ares at that. Oh, and it turns out that he's also married to Mateo. Once Quicksilver has convinced Severo and Darrow that he is in fact on their side, he admits that he hadn't been helping Severo directly because, well, he sees Severo as a bad investment, a boy lashing out because he was hurt over his losses. However, now that Quicksilver knows Darrow is alive, he is apparently ready to go all in. And while Darrow recognizes that things have changed and therefore their plan must change, Several still wants to just blow shit up. Which leads to him and Darrow actually coming to blows. Don't worry though, after a few minutes of them duking it out, Several breaks down crying and they hug it out well and talk it out. And when they join back up with the howlers, everything is copacetic. And Severo announces that Darrow is back to being Holler 1 while he, Severo, is Holler 2. And oh yeah, remember Rolo's plan? Turns out that that's the one they're going with after all. And thank the gods for that. Also, after a quick call to the jackal, you know, to brag about how they kidnapped Quicksilver because, hey, why not? Darrow makes his way out to show the people of Phobos that he's totes alive and well. He moves through the hollows in his new blood red armor, unmasked, and of course, low colors immediately take note of him.
1: But this being Darrow, obviously there's more to the show. First, Quicksilver's greens hijack every broadcast in the system and play the video of EO's song and death. And when it's over, Darrow speaks. And yes, it's the usual big moving Darrow speech punctuated by him removing his gloves to show that he no longer has sigils the first person in hundreds of years without them dara reminds the low colors that they aren't fighting for hate vengeance or justice but for their children and their future and then he tells the golds that the low colors are rising and their rule is at an end to punctuate the end of the speech severo begins a rhythmic beat of his fist against his chest a beat that is picked up by the other howlers by the sons of Ares, and then by everyone around them Break the chains, Darrow roars before giving Ragnar an order, the end result of which is the Phobos military spire going completely dark, followed by a live video feed showing a slave becoming a hero as Ragnar and a pack of low-color welders and laborers take control of the spire. At this point, Severo takes charge of the battle that was roused by Darrow's speech because, as usual, there are more plans and plots within plots and plans, and one of them is for Darrow to join back up with Ragnar to go, well, obviously somewhere very cold based on the gear they're donning. Only before they can leave, who shows up in the hangar but Mustang? Because Ragnar, having a mind of his own and all now, he set Kavix free and told him to tell Mustang where she could find Darrow. None of which Darrow is very happy about, but Mustang wants a second chance. Dang it, and she's kind of used to getting what she wants. While Darrow might not be all that happy with Ragnar for pulling this little stunt, let's be real, Ragnar is right. (laughs) They need Mustang on their side if they don't want this to be a fight that isn't won until every gold is dead. So the ship takes off and joins the flood of refugee ships trying to flee the fighting on Phobos, and they are well on their way to their destination when a blip pops up on their display, and it's approaching fast. They dive through Mars' atmosphere, but they aren't fast enough, and their pursuers get in a kill hit on their ship. Ragnar rushes off, presumably to fight, and before Darrow can ascertain what happened to Ragnar or Holiday, their ship plummets into the icy sea below.
0: Whew! Oh, gosh. I don't even know where to start. Mustang saved the lives of Darrow's crew, and Orion commands the packs. is like, whoa, holy shit, yes. And I also have to kind of like, ugh, sigh, Darrow, that he's surprised by this. But I love how Kavok sets him straight, saying, do you think Virginia would have let you live in that tunnel when you and Ragnar were on your knees if she did not believe in your new world? She would have killed you on the spot if she thought you were her enemy. But when she sat before my hearth as a girl beside Pax and my children, what stories did I read them? Did I read them the myths of the Greeks, of strong men gaining glory for their own heads? No. I told them tales of Arthur, of the Nazarene, of Vishnu, strong heroes who wished only to protect the weak." I, like, just chills at so how good. fucking awesome Cavix is. Oh, I love him so much. Daryl realizes that Mustang truly is the one who has proven EO right, and not because of him, but because it was the right thing to do, and because Kavix was more a father to her than Nero ever was, and thank God for that, right? For sure. Uh, Still, he still worries that it might be a trap. Massive eye roll. Because if it was true, why hadn't they contacted Severo? And oh, it turns out they did. Ugh, Severo. But like, all of this is just so... You hearken back to their time at the Institute and how Mustang was the one who shouldn't coerce him or convince him. She just led him into the idea of how best to handle... Things right instead of making people their slaves straight out, they would enslave them because they had to by the institute's rules. But then they could earn their way out of that and be part of a team. And oh gosh, it's just like it, this just makes me again. We didn't get enough of packs, man. Yeah, like I, I'm so grateful that we get CAVEX and Daxo. And eventually, other Telemontes. We're not going to get into that, but like, ah, uh, man, they are the reason Mustang is who she is. It's it's sort of like being raised by a family who is not great. Let's say racist, and then you go away to school, and you're taught by professors and your friends and life in general that there's something better than what you have been raised to believe. Like, I just, I don't know. Uh, I just love it. I love Kavik so much. Do. No, I
2: do. I, I agree. It's, I mean, we, we only got to see like the, like a few moments with Pax other than the, you know, like the him being giant, a giant dude, you know? Um, his
1: catchphrase. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is and, the whole Telemannis catchphrase is just, it's, it's whatever, just, your just is. Yeah. Whatever, whatever your name is. It's Whatever your name is, Telemannis. <laughs>
2: yeah. But how cool would it have been to be to see that other side of him, you know, like the side that all of this was born in?
0: I like ugh, JK Rowling, but also he's such a Hufflepuff. Max <laughs> was such a Hufflepuff. He was so loyal to Mustang. I mean, the fact that he got he got he ended up in Minerva. Obviously, he wouldn't have ended up in Minerva if he wasn't super intelligent. But also, a big part of that was like. Keeping Pax and Mustang together. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just getting the words from Kavix's mouth that he raised his children this way is just so like we saw it somewhat in Golden Sun, but they're still gold, right? So you're still like, hmm, like are they or are they just, you know, you don't know for sure. So hearing this from his lips is just like,
2: I think yeah. you see little bits, little bits of it in Daxo. You know, like how much they love each other, how much uh, they're both just these massive men, but have this other side to them.
0: Ugh, I love it. I love it so much. But anyway, big reveal. Turns out, Quicksilver is a son of Ares and has been for twenty plus years. He has been helping the Jackal, and Darrow is kind of like, yeah, but you did, and, and Quicksilver's was like, yeah. Uh, like, I got, I got to have my hands in a lot of in a lot of pockets, a lot of places, whatever. I, I,
1: I get that. But it's like, if helping Severo is a bad investment, what's helping the jackal? Yeah. Well. I mean,
0: Quicksilver I, is questionable. Let's I, be real. Yeah, he's Still.
1: very questionable. Still. I don't like the angry kid, but the psychopath.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, again, he calls Severo a bad investment because... When they supposedly executed Darrow, Severo acted like a boy and began a war he couldn't win. All of this is true. And yes, Fitchner was a visionary. But in Quicksilver's words, Severo has caused disunity and chaos. And while Severo is like, I did what I had to, you know, what no one else would do. Quicksilver is like, you're just lashing out our truths. So, Sever asks, why Quicksilver, as the richest man in the system, and clearly not an anarchist, would want war? And Seth, you want to read Quicksilver's reply? I
1: I will take it, but I would also like to state that this quote is not my opinion. Uh, So, let's go. (laughs) No, I am not an anarchist, a communist, a fascist, a plutocrat, or even a democrat, for that matter. My boys... Don't be like, like, I know, sorry, I know he's not, but with the my boys, I figure he's just got my boys. Mm-hmm. Big cigar. Don't believe what they tell you in school. Government is never the solution, but it is almost always the problem. I'm a capitalist, and I believe in the effort and progress of the ingenuity of our species. I believe the continuing evolution and advancement of our kind based on fair competition. Fact of the matter is, gold does not want man to continue to evolve. Since the Conquering, they have routinely styled themselves to maintain their heaven. They've wrapped themselves in myth, filled their grand oceans with monsters to hunt, cultivated private murkwoods and Olympuses of their very own. They have suits of armor that make them flying gods, and they preserve that ridiculous fairy tale by keeping mankind frozen in time. Curbing invention, curiosity, social mobility, change threatens that. They should build robots to toil, explore beyond the solar system, and he believes Darrow could take down the Jackal the Sovereign Gold as whole. So he's all in.
0: He's all in. You know, Severo's still like, whatever, man. And Darrow's like, dude, this is a really good ally, which he's not wrong there. And... Several still wants to just blow shit. Like, he has a grenade in his hand. And Daryl's like, no, stop <laughs> it with the grenades and the bombs and shit. And they fight it out. And then they hug it out. I mean, and when they fight it out, I will say, the fight between him and Darrow it was well-written, but it was also kind of hilarious. It was
2: hilarious, Like... Yeah. <laughs>
0: I can't remember the exact like moves and shit, but whoa, Darrow's way bigger than him. And yes, he had to be recarved, but he had training the first time and he's had more training since. And still Severo is holding his own because he's a nasty little shit. Like this is how he beat Priam in the passage.
2: Exactly.
0: So they fight it out. They hug it out. Severo starts crying, which I feel so bad because in this moment, Quicksilver is right. He is kind Mm -hmm. of like a little boy who has just lost his way. But, phew.
2: Severo admits, at the Institute, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think I was still in my dreams. Then I'd feel the cold and I'd slowly start remembering where I was and that there's dirt and blood under my nails. And all I want to do is go back to sleep to be warm. But I knew I had to get up and face the world that didn't give a shit. That's how I feel every morning now. I'm afraid all the time. I don't want to lose anymore. I don't want to let them down.
1: Subro.
2: He's just obviously
1: in over his head, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he's not the guy to be running an insurgency at this point in his life.
0: Yeah. He never was, and I don't I don't think he ever wanted to, right? Even yeah. at this point, I don't think he wants to. But he was shoved into this role and he is loath to give it up only because he fears that if he does, whoever takes over is going to put his friends in danger. I mean, we saw him in Golden Sun after the Iron Reign when they lost, I believe it was Weed. He was like crying on the battlefield. He couldn't deal with it. Ugh, poor Severo. He is not built for this
2: and it's a lot he's been darrow's second for a while and then your dad's aries and then he he gets murdered and now you're aries and then darrow gets murdered and yeah it's it's just a lot and then he's thrown into this situation trying to keep it going but like who does he trust does he can he trust mustang and all those guys uh, he doesn't doesn't even know about quicksilver they even talk about you know how are they funding this how did they build tinos how did they build this who's what's funding this and he's just he's got all these things and he's He's a battering ram, you know?
0: Yep. He's a fighter, not a leader. Yeah. One thing he instituted that they immediately get rid of, thank God, was that all of the howlers wear a suicide tooth in case they are captured. This is one of the first things Daryl undoes, saying, I will die with my friends. Because Darrow needs his men to lose the heavy mantle they wear. With this poison in their skulls, it feels as if their death sentences have already been read. And they're just like waiting for it to happen. And Darrow wants them to believe that death has to earn its bounty. He wants them to believe in each other and in the idea that they might actually win and live. And this is something that he admits he's finally believing for the first time. And I see that. But, side note, they're talking about the spaceport, and I just want to say the spaceport is named Skyrush Interplanetary Spaceport. And I have to imagine this is a Gulliver's Travels reference?
1: Yes, although I think Laputa would have made more sense, because that was the flying city.
0: Skyrush was the name of the guy who was, like, the leader or something?
1: Laputian Admiral.
0: Okay, I only remember that he was like a big name in yes. Lilliput, and that's
1: all that he that was. He about.
0: opposed them setting Gulliver free. I don't know. I just thought Pierce has a really good way of throwing these things in where I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that is that uh, okay? <laughs> all right, all right. So as they enact their new plan, which we'll get into in a second, Darrow remembers Carnes of all people, thinking Carnas Al Bologna had his faults, but he was right when he said that all we have in this life is our shout into the wind. He shouted his own name, and I learned the folly in that. But before I begin the war that will claim me one way or another, I will make my shout, and it will be something far greater than my own name, far greater than a roar of family pride. It is the dream I've carried and shepherded since I was 16. And this is when they play EO's song in the stacks of Phobos, which also, like, I am a little bit annoyed with Pierce this. The stacks, the hollows, the hive. What the fuck is it called? Okay? (laughs) Like, stop giving it 16 different names. Because, okay, I get that a gold would call it the stacks. And a low red, like Rolo, would call it the hive. Where did the hollows come from? Why are there so many different names? Stop it.
1: Who, Who are the maintenance workers? Browns and low level greens? I guess... Them. That's where it came from.
0: It's too many names, though. It's I unnecessary. Know. Give it two names at most: a high color name and a low color name. It's too many. I names. know,
1: but I mean, if I may, it is New York anyway, the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, but that's real life, and this is a book where you only hear about Phobos in this handful of chapters, and it's like too much. Anyway, so they play a song in the stacks, hollows, hive, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And basically everywhere else they can across the hollow net, and they show her death and then Darrow gives his rousing Darrow speech and reveals he no longer has sigils. He also says that he's bringing war to the golds, a war for justice rather than vengeance for a better future for the children of other colors who have been trodden down by golds for hundreds of years. And when his speech ends, several of the Hallows of the Suns start thumping their fists against their chests, and Darrow likens it to Eo's heart beating on for all to hear. Which, of course, he also concludes with a rousing shout of break the chains, following by them killing the power in the society's military spire on Phobos. They could have bombed it, but Darrow didn't want to bring destruction. He wants them to see heroes, and the mob rises, and Severo and the others go to organize it while Darrow slips away. That whole scene, that whole scenario, his whole speech, I didn't put it in here as a quote, and I put it in the summary as a quote because it's too long. Not going to read. Like, (laughs) (laughs) T-L-D-R.
1: Could it be summed up as, But would you trade all of that for one chance, just one chance? (laughs) to look your enemy in the eye and tell them that they may take our lives, but they may never take our freedom. Uh
0: Basically, yes.
1: Here's the problem, is that after that movie, for all its flaws, and it has many of them, so many flaws, that 18-year-old Seth was not aware of, every time anyone makes that, that kind of a speech, it's a Braveheart speech. That's what people of a certain age know it has.
0: And Darrow makes a lot of Braveheart speeches in this Well, series. he's got a
1: lot of times that they come in handy.
0: Yeah. He's good at it, too. Yeah. Honestly. To be honest, the whole litany of what happens, right? Like, they play the recording of Io's song and her hanging through to the end. And he gives his speech. He rips off his gloves. And he doesn't have sigils. And everybody was like, oh! It's like, oh, my God, I can see his ankles! It's a big-ass deal here in this world so anyway mob rises which that's another story for another time and several of all people goes to organize it which okay let's hope that goes well meanwhile ragnar had his own job to do and eventually when he meets back up with darrow i thought this is interesting that he brings darrow the scepter of the khan family kane family khan! okay C-A-A-N. So that's it's like how James
1: a, Kahn's. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I
0: was thinking, Kahn. Yeah. So it's the Kahn family who followed the Bolognas, and Darrow recognizes someone on the blade. And when Ragnar asks what's wrong, Darrow kind of pauses for a second, and then he says, I knew someone from this family, Priam, who seemed decent enough. And Ragnar responds forlornly, decent is not enough not for their world which true but also kind of sad when it comes down to it
1: true but only applying to iron golds i like to think there are a lot of decent pixies
0: i mean i like to think that if priam hadn't been paired with severo in the passage and had lived he wouldn't have turned into a huge asshole like i don't disagree with darrow the brief things we got with priam he seemed I honestly he seemed nicer than cassius so yeah there's that (laughs) anyway oh by the way mustang pops in and wants an alliance and to tag along on darrow's next mission and there's a lot going on here like she wants to prove that she believes in eo's dream she also needs darrow to prove that he is worthy of her trust because she knows he can break but she needs to see that he can also build and darrow confronts ragnar because well it was Ragnar setting Kavik's free that led to Mustang finding them but as we mentioned in the summary Ragnar is right in believing Lorne would have told you that we need her now in war and after in peace if we do not bring her to our cause then we will not win until every gold is dead that is not why I fight Sorry, I both love and hate doing Ragnar's voice, so I'm. Never I think you do a hell of a job. Else.
2: I think you do a hell of a job,
1: Rags.
0: But really, he's right in this. He was yeah. well. First of all, it's Cavex. Obviously, Cavex needs to go free. He needs to be back with Sophocles. Like, what yeah. Sophocles gonna think if Daddy doesn't come home?
1: Who's gonna feed him jelly beans? Exactly.
0: I think at some point, I don't know if it's, in, if it's in this part or if it's later in this book, but there's like a story that comics tells. It actually, it might be when he's talking to Darrow and he's like, oh, yes, we took Sophocles to dinner and he didn't like the gravy. <laughs> this is me with my pets. Yes, yes. I brought Ellie to the dog park, but she didn't like the water in the bowls. <laughs> so they try to sneak away from Phobos and they hear others trying to do the same. And this is something we didn't really mention in the summary, but I want to touch on here because as they're trying to sneak out, Darrow is listening to these people just freaking out over the comms. They're like begging to be let out of Phobos. They just want to escape this nonsense. Like, and he thinks in war, men lose what makes them great, their creativity, their wisdom, their joy. All that's left is their utility war is not monstrous for making corpses of men so much as it is for making machines of them and woe to those who have no use in war except to feed the machines, which is literally all these people trying to escape from Phobos, right? It's like pixies and like even peerless guards who have not made the connections or aren't from the best families or whatever. And they're like, just let me out of here on my party ship, bitches. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough because people are getting shot down like they are shooting down ships who aren't following the rules like murdering whole families for diverging from the planned path. It's pretty messed up. Not shocking, but still messed up.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. To both of those things.
0: Oh, yeah. By the way, they're off to the ice and spires, at least until it turns out that they've been followed and are shot down. And now. That we've witnessed yet another Darrow plan go awry. It's time for chapters 26 through 34.
1: Darrow and Mustang cut themselves free of their crash webbing as their ship sinks into the depths of a freezing cold ocean populated with carved monsters meant to keep the Obsidians trapped on their icy continent because, oh yeah, of course they were headed to the spires to meet with the Obsidians. Anyway, their emergency supplies are nowhere to be found, and they have no choice but to vacate the ship with just a standard emergency kit, swimming in what they hope is the direction of the surface, which they reach, and have just pulled themselves free of the water when Holliday busts through the ice as well. Ragnar, however, is still missing. Of course, Darrow wants to go after his friend, but Holiday threatens to shoot him in the leg if he tries, and then here comes Mustang, rushing past them and diving into the water, Razor in one hand and Flare in the other. Darrow follows the light of her flare until it begins to disappear, at which point he begins cutting into the ice, eventually opening a hole and finding Mustang, Ragnar in her arms and hauling her out. Only, they aren't exactly alone. There are nasty creatures latched onto Mustang and Ragnar's backs, and they're freaking eating them alive! But even after the monsters are cut away and Ragnar is CPR'd back to life, their situation is still pretty dang dire. The only weapons left to them are the ones in their hands. Uh, they have no food or water, and it's, you know, really fucking cold. Plus, there's a storm coming because things always have to be, like, worse than worst. so they need shelter ASAP. They are at least able to see that the other ship crashed as well, and while sure, their enemies might have survived the crash, hitting them while they're still piecing themselves back together is their and company's best, shoot, possibly only chance especially as Mustang is certain that Cassius is one of them and worried that Aja might be with him as well. But what they actually find when they reach the wreckage is death. Anyone who is still alive has fled in the wake of a new attack, not by carved beasts. No, no, there's something worse than that eaters aka obsidians who eat the flesh of men and why yes they are absolutely eating the dead golds whose bodies were left behind and who are clearly bent on eating darrow and his friends as well it's pretty much only thanks to ragnar that they survived this encounter though mustang is injured darrow straight up had some bites taken out of his pretty face and in the end they find that most of the ship's gear was taken by the survivors who fled
0: Still, they are able to seal themselves inside for the night and even get in a good meal and some, well, if not pleasant conversation at least, or a vealing conversation. Because as if we had enough reasons to dislike Mustang's dad, turns out her birth mother died after losing a baby because Nero wouldn't let her get medical treatments that would ruin the quote-unquote purity of the product. Whatever, good thing no one was missing Nero at this point anyway. Jerk. The next day, they have a decision to make. Go straight to the spires or chase down Cassius. Oh yeah, and Aja, because she is there as well. Darrow convinces Mustang that they should take the chance to waste their enemy, because when else would they be so exposed? So off they go, with a ghost of a plan that involves Darrow and Ragnar confronting the two Olympic knights while Mustang and Holiday hide in the trees and play Sniper. Shockingly, yeah, or not, their plan doesn't work. Cassius figures out where the danger is coming from just in time and knocks Aja out of the way when Holiday shoots. And when Ragnar tries to use one of his razors as a throwing knife, Aja fucking catches it in midair. The four of them crash together, with Cassius and Darrow soon pairing off as Ragnar presses down on Aja. Darrow is on the verge of losing to Cassius. He's pinned down with his former friend's razor poised to kill when Mustang interrupts, shouting at Cassius to stop, her bow at the ready. Cassius (laughs) doesn't think she'll shoot him, but as he begins to say as much, she does just that, straight through the neck. Unfortunately, things don't go quite so well for Ragnar. A moment too late, Darrow realizes that his friend is about to fall into Aja's trap, and before he or Mustang can offer any help, Aja has speared Ragnar through with her razor. There's an odd moment where she seems distracted, but even then, when Mustang shoots at her, Aja is able to spin away, though she at least spins herself off the damn cliff, disappearing into the darkness below. Mustang insists that they can't stay, but Darrow refuses to leave Ragnar, and then Aja's distraction is realized. And it isn't Eater's. It is, in fact, Ragnar's sister Sephi the Quiet come with her Valkyries on their griffins just in time to see their prince die. And even as he does, Ragnar reveals so much. First to Darrow, that words will not suffice with his mother. Which leads Darrow to the conclusion that Ragnar came here to kill her. Then to Sephi, who tries to put her axe in his hand so that he can die a warrior and secure his place in Valhalla. But Ragnar wants her to see that he prefers to die with his friends and that she should live for more. He nods to Darrow, who does what he must, much as he hates it, and ushers his friend from this world. <sighs>
1: If I may bring a moment of perhaps incongruous levity to what just happened. To lose one giant friendly guy is an accident. (laughs) To lose two smacks of carelessness.
2: (laughs) And now they ride to the spires on the backs of the Valkyries Griffins. Injured, nearly weaponless. No Ragnar to light the way for them. So it probably shouldn't be all that surprising that things turn from bad to worse as their remaining weapons are taken, their arms and legs shackled, and they're thrown into a cell. While Cassius, because, oh yeah, somehow that mother Affer is still alive, is taken elsewhere. That and when they do finally meet Ragnar's mother, she is, to say the least, gross and horrible and clearly knows all about the lies of the golds. She's the Obsidian version of a Gamma, in fact. So, you know, Slag Gamma and Slag Alia Snowsparrow. In the end, Ragnar was right, and their words do nothing. Alia tasks Sephi with bringing them to Asgard, in chains, of course. But while the Obsidian Queen wouldn't listen to them, when Daryl finally gets Sephi alone for a moment, she does listen. They arrive on Asgard with Darrow, Mustang, and Holiday disguised as obsidians. I guess they were just (laughs) going to gloss over the fact that Holiday really shouldn't be able to pass as an obsidian, but whatever. And present Darrow's razor as proof of having seen his ship crash. And as soon as they're brought before Loki and Freya, they reveal themselves and quickly prove that these gods are just other golds, just humans who bleed like anyone else. After killing or capturing these so-called gods and pillaging Asgard... They return to the spires on a shuttle and bust in on Alia, who is holding council with her war chiefs. And yet, even as Darrow drags the captured gold forward, proving that their gods are false, Alia names her daughter a traitor and calls for her to free their gods and kill the blasphemers. Not to worry, though. Now that Sephi understands that their mother knew the truth, she is big-time angry, and well, she has a razor to boot, a razor that she promptly uses to lop off her mother's head. It's only when Sephi dons Aliya's crown and ascends to the throne to announce that Valkyrie ride to war with Darrow and Mustang, Darrow and Mustang look at each other and really begin to wonder what they have unleashed.
0: Okay. We're to take a breath here. Oh,
2: Ragnar.
0: All right, we got to go back to the beginning before he actually dies. So the other ship that crashed as well, thanks to Ragnar. But before we get to all of that, wow, Ragnar's hometown really is full of monsters. First, the whole what the fuck was that thing in the water beneath Darrow and Mustang? We never find out. Then they have those weird like dog sized sucking creatures on their backs. Ugh, honestly, like I mm. <laughs> what the fuck golds? And then there are straight-up cannibals who believe that if they eat gold flesh, they will be immortal. And when Darrow finds the dead golds in the other crash, he notes, The golds might have been enemies, but this horror makes life feel so cheap. There's a cruel irony to this place. It is terrifying and wicked, but it wouldn't exist unless gold made it exist to create fear. To create that need for their iron rule, these poor bastards were eaten by their own pet monsters. I don't think we need to go too much into their crash and how they escaped or whatever. But holy shit, how many different carved monsters are there in these seas?
1: I'm assuming the um, the big thing was probably their version of uh, Jormungandr. and I assume that you know they've got. I guess two of those per planet, one at each pole.
0: I'm a little bit was... sad that we didn't see more of it and that it was just the weird, like dog-sized flesh-eating monsters as if yeah, they weren't it's... bad enough. But you know. Yeah. I guess we can't have it all.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's trying. He he really is trying. It's just, oh man, golds are being eaten because uh, the people you've convinced your gods think eating your flesh makes them immortal. Um uh, play my violin for you. It's very small. <laughs>
0: Although when they chaw on Dara's face, I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. I don't know why, but like as much zombie stuff as I've watched, right, I have a huge aversion to when in zombie shows, movies, whatever, people get bitten on their face. Like anywhere else, it's like, okay, it's still gross, but I can deal with it. But when they get bitten on their face, I'm like, oh, no, yeah. they it stop. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, there's that whole thing about us not liking asymmetrical faces and, you know, but it's like somebody, you know, takes a chunk off your face. They kind of change who you are, at least who you look like, right?
0: I I don't know. I think for me, it's just like, there ain't no fixing that. And and I get they have Carver's here, and Darrow can just go back and get the fucking (laughs) chaw off his jaw, pardon the rhyme, fixed. But like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they believe that if they eat the flesh of golds they will ascend.
1: I, I'm just saying, I, I'm having a difficult time remembering a story in which people pretend to be gods and it works out okay for them. <laughs> uh Peter Winkman, yeah. maybe you don't always say you're a god when somebody yeah. asks. It's
0: they got what oh, was yeah. coming to them in a oh, way. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but still, ugh. Well, They do get safe. They're able to seal themselves in the other ship and there's food. Thank God. So they're warm and cozy with food, which means apparently it's time for some parental history chat, which seems a little (laughs) awkward, but like, okay guys, we learn that holiday's father was a typical legionnaire with a family in every port. Ragnar never knew his first father, AKA his blood father who went to be a slave before Ragnar was born. And while they all knew Mustang's father, obviously they start talking about her mother instead because Holland is like, she looks like a cold bitch. And Mustang's like, um, that's my stepmother. She (laughs) liked Adrias, which mm, honestly, if you like Adrias, you already have a problem. (laughs) Mustang's real mother died when she was young. And if that's not a tale, we briefly touched on it in the summary, And this is just, like, trigger warning for a lot of shit here. Mustang's mother was pregnant. The doctor said there would be complications with the birth and recommended medical interventions. But Nero refused. Because if the child was not fit to survive birth, it did not deserve life. And interfering with that medically would lead to the product lacking purity. Which, seriously, ew, what the fuck. I'm not surprised, their goals, whatever, but also hearing it in an actual story, like a family story from a character who we know and love just makes it so much more poignant than knowing that it happened all the time. Mustang's mother was very sad and eventually took a walk to the sea cliffs near their home and never came back. Not going to get into that, but Mustang admits... That's why she's here, because she knows that that's what they were wondering. She says, my father was a titan, but he was wrong. He was cruel. And if I can be something else, I will be. It was interesting because there's several different levels to this. Like, Darrow doesn't talk about his family because they all kind of know what happened to his family, for obvious reasons. But Holiday's mother was like... Baking them shit and also teaching them to take apart ships and stuff. Apparently great mom. My Holiday is like, yeah, I love my mom. Uh, you know, my dad, he was an asshole. But like, she kind of says like, it was no big deal. He was just like every other legionnaire dad. And Ragnar is like, I didn't know my first father, my blood father. He was gone before I was born. And even that is kind of a this is what you expect sort of thing. And I think that the story that Mustang tells, it's expected, but it's also extra gross in a way because she is a gold and her family, her father, her mother, they had... Everything open to them. But because her father was so set on his children being the right kind of gold, he didn't allow his wife to get the help they absolutely could have gotten.
1: Yeah, it's relatively easy to see, again, what with her being raised by the Telemontises, who apparently managed to keep humanism alive somehow. You could see why she might be like, yeah, you know what, our society might have some problems. There there might be an issue or two that needs to be fixed.
0: I mean, I do think it was absolutely a combination of how she was raised, actually, by the Telemontises and what had happened to her. But what happened to her... I think is partly the reason why she was raised by the Tolmanses. So one thing begets another begets another. Anyway, after they wake up in the morning all well fed on holidays pasta I hope there was Parmesan cheese. Like, that's all I have to say. (laughs) There better have been a bucket of Parmesan cheese for that pasta. A sort of chase ensues as Darrow has convinced them that taking out Cassius and Aja, who are, as we mentioned, part of the group that came after them, could cause further fractures in the Sovereign's power. Of course, their plans go awry. And yes, they take down Cassius, mostly because he doesn't think Mustang will shoot him, which is like... (laughs) <laughs> did anybody else kind of cheer a little bit when he was like you what?" and in the middle of the sentence Mustang's yeah. like BTW shooting me through the throat
1: do I think she would have a problem shooting Darrow in a similar situation probably not but Cassius is like you're not going to shoot me we boned and I'm like dude if I could tell present you what future her thinks of you boning you might have a different opinion on that
0: that's actually a discussion within the fandom as to whether darrow has a red dick or a gold dick Uh, unless he was hung like a horse as a red he obviously has a gold dick
1: here's another not spoiler from later on in the two books apparently mustang is the size queen
0: he didn't really have a choice right he didn't choose what they did to him but also i imagine mickey as the carver (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: be like, right. I'm giving this guy a ten-inch dick.
1: Yeah, they're like, all right, Darrow, we're finished. Take a look at your body, and he does, and he's like, um, gotta get a couple more inches.
0: I actually don't think Darrow would have done that. Darrow knew he was he was something when he was red. He was kind of like high on himself a little. Yeah, no, that's true. It's, well, some and, of and being hell hands, diver.
1: maybe he was counting on those.
0: Uh, well, anyway,
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Oh my God, his hands! Ooh, Jesus Christ. Anyway. <laughs> she knew for sure that it was Cassius because like there was a box in the ship and one of her earrings was in it like oh dude yeah just barking up the wrong tree there yeah honestly I feel a little bad for him a little bit a little bit
1: too because he must have thought well obviously she likes me more than she ever liked darrow because she <laughs> came right over to be mine he's a terrible person he's a terrible gold for participating in this society which i already there must have been all of that i imagine tangled up in what he actually feels for mustang
0: i mean i think that was a small part of it but i think really it was more just jesus christ are we not all in love with mustang well i mean yes we're
1: all in love with mustang <laughs> Well, so he like, wants us to be in love with Mustang. Who doesn't love the horse girl? Which is fine.
0: I wish people thought like that in real life, because...
1: What people don't horse like Horse girl
0: Mustang? times a thousand <laughs> oh, here. Anyway, Ragnar ugh, oh, is not man, man. able to kill Aja, as he claimed he could. And instead, Aja kills him and fucking escapes, because of course she does.
2: What was Lauren's quote? He was like, don't do this... And don't fight Aja. Don't agreements.
0: never fight Aja. Yeah, never yeah, yeah. fight Aja. And Darrow realizes it like a moment too late. Ugh, like, listen, I'd say I'm not crying. You're crying. But damn it, we're all crying. Ragnar's sister, Seffi shows up just before he passes and wants to help ease his suffering. But he wants Darrow to do it. Darrow notes that there is peace in Ragnar's eyes. I'm going to try to get through this. As he says, I will give Eo your love. I will make a house for you in the veil of your father's. It will be beside my own. Join me there when you die. But I am no builder. So take your time. We will wait. Oof. Shivers. Here's the thing. Sevi tries to put the axe in his hand so that he can die as a warrior and go to Valhalla, but he refuses and he tells her to live for more. He (sighs) shit, I don't know if I can do it. He believes that the veil is real. In this moment, he believes that the veil is real and that he is going to take care of Eo for Darrow and that they will have a place built and ready for him when he comes every time i fucking read this i cry i'm so Mm -hmm. sorry it's so it's so beautiful because this is somebody who was raised to believe that valhalla was the thing you aspire to and he doesn't aspire to that anymore because he doesn't believe in it he believes in the reds story he believes that the veil is a place and that when it all comes down to it he will see his friends there again
1: yeah i also just like i don't know that this was necessary here
0: his death or his his
1: death at this point just because i had some thoughts about it being a little more poignant if he could have convinced his sister because he was this, you know, he's this big convert, and he believes in what they're fighting for, and he believes in all this stuff. And if he could have convinced his sister that maybe this was the way to go, rather than Darrow and and circumstance doing it, I don't know.
0: See, I actually disagree with that because I think that obviously he could have convinced his sister, but I think that him being gone and Darrow having to be the one to tell her about the lies and show her how Mm -hmm. wrong everything was it feeds into the story later too honestly so there's that but ah shit i mean (sighs) ragnar's gone and let's be real nothing will ever be the same again and yes that is for us readers as well i do want to point out there was A whole lot of foreshadowing for his death in part two of this book. Once on Phobos, when he says, like, we're not going to meet the All-Mother yet. And then again on the ship as it was being attacked, he's like, I'm coming for you. You know, he survives that, but almost drowns and Mustang pulls him out and they CPR him back to life. And he's like, not yet, All-Mother, not yet. So it's like sometimes him acting willing to meet his maker. And then that last time him saying like, no, not yet. And I'm just like, ah, Pierce Brown, why do you do this to us? (laughs) There was a fuck ton of foreshadowing for his death. The only reason I'm pointing that out is because I never noticed it in my original like reads. So it was interesting this time to be like, oh shit, he says like this and this and oh my God, obviously he was going to die. And here's the other thing. Then Dara is like, how is Severo going to react? Uh, and then, oh my God, don't even start. My nieces and nephews will never braid another bow into the friendly giant's hair. Dara thinks that part of his soul has departed and will never return because Ragnar was his protector and he gave so many strength. Still to this day, I'm pretty sure this is the... Death in the series that has racked me the most. Obviously, we all love packs, but like, mm, I don't think anything beats this yet. Now, that said, Ragnar warned Darrow about his mother, alias sparrow but oof, of course, Darrow and Mustang don't really listen. And when they arrive at the spires, they're imprisoned. And still, they try to meet with, and I guess talk sense into her or some shit until she begins speaking in high lingo orient which surprises mustang but not darrow who thinks i know how the low rise under the power of the mighty and this merely confirms what i've long suspected slag and gamma are not the only favored slaves of the world and Mustang still tries to convince Alia to join them, but obviously to no avail. And then they're on their way to so-called Asgard to be delivered to the gods on high in chains. But along the way, Darrow gets a moment alone with Cephi and is at least able to convince her to let him show her the lies that have ruled their lives. And they trick their way into an audience with the golds who run Asgard. I love how they show up at Asgard, and for some reason, somehow, Holiday is also <laughs> disguised as an obsidian, but let's ignore that. And Darrow, disguised in an obsidian, lays the razor at the Violet's feet. And he goes into all these, like, metaphors. I don't remember what they are, but he, the is like, how do you know? And Daryl's like, the goals whose skin oh, yeah. were like your hair. It was, it's like so over the top. Mm-hmm. And in the, while he's saying it, Daryl's like, oh, God, it's too much. But then he keeps going. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, honestly. He doesn't know how Obsidian speaks, so he just keeps speaking in metaphors. And they keep getting worse and worse and more worse. <laughs> And then the vial is like, all right, fine. I'll bring you to the gods. And they go. And uh, quote unquote Freya and quote unquote Loki are there. And they're basically just golds who got fucked. Proctor Mercury, probably for his involvement at the Institute with the jackal shit. And Freya actually mentions, like, I fell in the iron rain for you. I kind of feel bad for Proctor Mercury, though. Like, a little bit. Well, oh. like, a little, like, come on, a little bit. <laughs> he wanted Darrow in his house. He's like this jovial little dude. And like, Nero is a piece of shit. So you know that he was like holding shit over their heads inside. Like, I feel, I feel a little bit bad for him.
1: All right. All right. Maybe, maybe a little, a little.
0: Yeah, a little. Like, even Darrow says he feels bad for him. So, the fact that he gives his codes to them and they just like Mustangs, like, (laughs) so we got these two. There's five more gods here. You want to go get them, girls, and the Valkyries just go fucking pillaging and murdering. (laughs) Maybe not murdering because they do. They do bring some live captives back to the spires man the trip up to the spires too it's like this super dangerous thing and there's like bodies littering the cliffs and stuff it's like so don't you want these obsidians to fight for you it's honestly kind of institute like if you ask me
1: yeah but only the best and strongest of obsidians may fight for gold I will be in here with the heating (laughs) and the booze
0: i just there's so much there's so much like there but well
1: it's it's like i was i was thinking about it again one part of andor that i watched yesterday in fact really called it to mind
0: you just now watched andor it took me a while it took me a while
1: i just finished it today i Um, haven't watched it yet so (laughs) oh oh boy it is a treat a real dark one, so just be aware. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's uh it's super like, whew. but there's just one part where it's like, you know what, folks? If you if you tell somebody that they have the chance to win an award, you may as well just let them have the award because that way they keep working harder for you. See, that's the trick. Rather than just being like, <laughs> "You can never win!" Ah, look at all the power I have over your puny little lives. <laughs>
0: It's very bad. All of it's very bad. And listen, I still feel a little bit bad for Praktor. I mean, I'm
2: sure it's not an ideal role for him either.
0: No, no, it's not. No, he got he got straight up sent here. Like this is his punishment for taking Nero's bribes. He's been there for a while. So listen, he's he's not the worst of them. So there's that. Now when. Proctor Mercury realizes what they mean to do, that being release the obsidians on the worlds. He tries to reason with Mustang and he's like, this is madness! They're monsters! And Mustang claps back with...
1: This is Asgard and kicks him down a well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Mustang claps back with, if they're monsters, we should ask ourselves, who made them that way? Uh, so, yeah, they take Asgard, they return to the spires to reveal the truth to anyone who doesn't already know it. Alia is just like, traitors in our midst. And straight up like, calls her daughter a traitor and is like, everybody's a liar, free our gods. And it's like, hmm, but you already lost. And Sephi is just like, oh, wait, I have our racer now. Mm. <laughs> bump, bump, bump. Pa lops off her mother's head before anybody in her war chief council can draw a weapon. Just by Alia, Snow Sparrow. And honestly, good fucking riddance. And for the first time in 20 years, Sefi speaks and says simply, she knew. That's it. She knew. And then she, like, breaks open her mother's war chest and goes and sits on the throne and is, like, calling all Valkyries! (laughs) And at that point, Darrow and Mustang, for good reason, are like, oh, shit, what the fuck did we do? Thoughts on how Sefi reacts to this and the fact that she not just lops off her mother's head but sits on her throne and speaks for the first time in 20 years. I thought it was
2: pretty cool. I thought that that Sefi probably wouldn't have been so direct if her mother wouldn't have been like, traitor, you know, pointed the finger first. Maybe she wouldn't have cut off her head, but it probably would have happened within the next, you know, 30 minutes or so.
1: Yeah. I mean, frankly, I I think she's lucky she didn't get the blood eagle after Sefi found out that she'd known this whole time. I'd be very angry.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and Sefi particularly is angry because the reason she's called Sefi the Quiet is because after her brother was taken, after Ragnar specifically was taken, she had this vow of silence. And when he comes back, when he's dying on the ice and she lands and sees him, you kind of understand why because it's like I taught you the I can't remember the numbers but like the 37 names of the wind and the yeah they were clearly so close as children and then her brother was gone and she made a vow of silence because he was gone and now that he's dead and she knows a hundred percent proof knows that her mother was part of this whole shenanigans i mean yeah. and i say that is like that's a really light word to call it well, i mean her but... mom
1: essentially sold her brother
0: yes oh no she did sell her brother yeah. she sold so many people she has been part of her entire race's slavery let's be real that happened in real life too now that Sephi has ascended her throne and called for the valkyrie to help the reaper here at the end of this particular journey, Dara Mustang are not too sure about what they have unleashed.
1: The hounds any, of war?
0: Yeah. Nice. Any last thoughts on anything we've discussed tonight before we close out?
1: No, I think I pretty much got it all out. I left yeah. I left it all on the floor.
0: I just have to say poor one out for Ragnar. Maybe not yeah, literally. Seriously. Maybe not literally. Yeah. But like Cheers, Ragnar. We loved you. And I mean, really to this day, probably hardest hitting death in this series. And I say that having read all five books so far. But I think that what I want to touch on real quick before we go is him being the shield of Tynos, how he had become the protector. And that's something that Aja actually... Taunts them with when she meets them on the ice. She's like, You were my father's monster. Like, Darrow, you don't even know what he did to Pinks. And mm-hmm. Ragnar says, Your father made me a monster, and I have become something beyond that. It's kind of like, Whatever you're saying about me, like, psh, brush my shoulder off, bitch. He believes in himself. And his friends believe in him. His literal nickname is the shield of Tinos. When he dies, Darrow is like, my protector is Mm -hmm. gone. My protector. This person who shields me, who shields other people. Ugh. I just, I love him so much. I'm so sad he's gone.
1: Truly. I mean, yeah. I, I hate to see him go.
0: And I think that I know you say you don't think his death was needed at this point in the series. I kind of disagree with that. Yeah,
1: let me put it this way. Do I think him surviving the book if he didn't die at this point was probably going to happen? No, I don't. But, you know, look, Pierce is writing him. He gets to make the choices. We just get to critique him and make fun of those choices if we don't agree.
0: True, true, true. Well, on that note, As we close out the episode, we just want to give a shout out to our Heroes Tier patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Tommy boy. Thank you so much for supporting us. Once again, I'm Tara, along with temporary co-host Seth and not quite, but very close to practically permanent guest host, Steve. Don't forget that you can always hit us up at Sagas and Sass on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email us at sagasandsass at gmail.com with any comments or thoughts you might have. Thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass. We will be back on Wednesday, February 1st, to cover part three of Morningstar. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.